a Christmas story. There is only one Christmas story, but each week we're taking a look at a different aspect, a view of the Christmas story from the different characters that are in it. And we're also lighting the candles of what we call the Advent wreath, the Advent, the celebration of Christmas and of Christ's coming. And the very first week that uh, we gathered together and we began to talk about this um, whole idea of what is happening in Christmas and what we need to know. We talked about the fact that Christ's coming gives us hope. And the Christmas story is a story of hope. I was able to share with somebody yesterday just talking about that and as they had some questions and great fears and said, you don't have to wonder, the hope of Christ is available to you even now, no matter how long. It's been since you've communicated with him, if ever, until now. And that knowledge of the hope of Christ led us into the second week where we talked about the fact that because of Christ, we can have peace. Peace that he has already come and provided for our salvation and peace in knowing he's coming again in an even more glorious fashion than the first time. And this week, the focus is on joy. Now, it's kind of interesting and maybe a little bit ironic that the candle that's lit is the candle of joy on a week when we talk about Herod, the antagonist. Herod rarely mentioned as one of the characters of Christmas because he was the original Scrooge. Only he was more than Bah Humbug. This was a nasty evil man. But you see, the interesting thing is, it's because he did not know the joy of Jesus, the joy of Christmas. We do, and we can experience that. As we look this morning in the New Testament, in the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew chapter 2, we're going to look at the whole chapter this morning, and we're looking at Herod, and I, I confessed or shared with you last week that I don't think I've ever done a whole sermon about Herod. And one of my struggles, I was talking with Jody about this a couple of weeks ago, as I said, the problem in preaching about Herod is everything's negative. I mean, basically, it's a see this guy, don't be like him. Everything he did, don't do that. I, go, I can't preach a message like that. And it was kind of like, what was I thinking and laying this thing out and saying to do Herod? And the longer I studied and the more I prayed and the Lord's like, no, you, you show the opposite to say, then this is how we're to live. So this morning, as we take a look at Herod and his view of the Christmas story, just understand Herod is not our hero in this story. We looked at Mary and we could say she was one of the heroes. I mean, Christ is the ultimate hero, but Mary certainly is a hero. We could say here are the things about Mary and her life and her character that we should follow. And then we looked at Joseph and the man in the middle that he was in and how he responded in difficult circumstances with fear and confusion, even in hurt and what he originally thought was betrayal. And we can say, yeah, he's one of the heroes, and we should be like Joseph. But this morning, in case you didn't hear me the first time, 
Don't be like Herod. Don't be anything like him. But I want you to see why he missed the story and what we need to do so that we don't miss it at all. Matthew chapter 2. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose in the east went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, he just sang about that star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, he was no longer in the stable at this point. He was a little older by the time these guys showed up. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. Remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. He sent and killed all the male children in, the, in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. 
He rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city of Nazareth. So it was so what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. In case you wondered, that's how our denomination got its name. Church of the Nazarene. Because Christ was called that. Herod was a mean, nasty, evil dude. He was paranoid. He was frightened of anybody possibly taking his power. In fact, the slaughter of the innocents of those babies did not surprise anybody who had watched his life. Paranoid fears of being assassinated or being overthrown had driven him to butcher, and that's the appropriate word, every suspected rival to his throne, including his favorite wife and several of his sons. Now, somebody who would murder his own family without blinking would think nothing of having a few baby boys put to the sword, especially those of a nationality he did not approve of. His son, Archelaus, who followed him, was a chip off the old block. In fact, many call him the worst of Herod's heirs. He celebrated when he was inaugurated king by having 3,000 people massacred. This is not a good family. This was not a good guy. So why look at Herod? Because we don't want to be anything like that. So let's jump into this. From Herod's view or our view of Herod, we need to see he was ignorant of God's word. The first and most outstanding thing that jumps out in this passage is that Herod knew nothing of God's word. He was completely ignorant of it. This fact is shown that when the wise men showed up, he couldn't answer them. Verse 4, it says, And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. He had no idea. And let's insert in here, you think through the fact that the chief priests knew that a Messiah was coming and they weren't following at all. Herod was ignorant. They knew and weren't following. Neither one is an example to follow. We need to know the word. You see, he had to depend on others' knowledge. And when you have to depend on someone else's knowledge, you can easily be led astray. When somebody says, I've heard and you don't know anything about it, you can follow the wrong path and the wrong word. Herod certainly did that. In contrast, we must know the word for ourselves. That's why I encourage, plead, prod you constantly to be in the word for yourselves. You can't depend just on what I'm saying. You need to be in it for yourself. You need to be in it to check what I say. 
Because what we need to follow is this word, not my word or anyone else's. Herod thought everyone should follow his word. And did you notice well into this passage, verse 18, but when Herod died, that was the end of Herod. There was no eternal joy. There was no eternal uh, time to be spent with the creator because he had rejected him. And a lot of that is because he didn't even know the word. We must know the word. Secondly, he believed that he could outwit God. A lot of people have thought this. Sometimes we have. You know, no, I've never done that. Sure we do. By pretending when we know better. It's as if God won't notice as long as we pretend well. And yet he already knows. It's when we don't admit issues, struggles, sins in our life. As if God won't notice, but he already knows. But Herod, even more so, thought he could outwit and outsmart God and those following him. Verses 7 and 8, Herod summoned the wise men and ascertained from him what time the star appeared. Sent them off with this ridiculous statement. Go and search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship. Now, first thing, Herod was being lazy. He could have simply gone with them or had one of his lieutenants go with them. But again, he was sure everyone would do what he wanted because he was Herod. And it's interesting that by Herod's view, the wise men tricked him, the scripture says, which I find a fascinating thought. All the wise men did was follow God. And when they were warned not to go back that way, they obeyed God's word instead of Herod's word. And Herod then thought that meant they tricked him when in reality, they simply followed the one true God. Herod thought he could outwit God. In other words, he put himself in the place of God. He lied saying he wanted to worship him. He wanted to destroy him as became obvious. But he claimed that he wanted to worship him. But you see, Herod wanted people to worship him. He didn't want to worship God. He put himself in the place of God. And anytime we don't put God on the throne of our life, we have instead put ourselves there. And I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but scripture is pretty clear. There's only one throne. It's not a dual thing. We don't sit with him on the throne. He's on the throne. He needs to be on the throne of our life. In other words, in control, which is scary as we've mentioned often because we like to be in control, right? Yeah. I made you turn and say that to other people a couple weeks ago, but I understand it started some fights, so I won't have you do that again. But we like to be in control. Whether it's who has the remote. There were not near as many fights in families over TV watching until remote controls came along. Because when you had to get up and change it, the control went to whoever got up and was willing to change the channel. I mean, man, growing up, 
we had to walk, you know, 10, 12 feet across the room to change the channel. Kids today don't understand how easy they have it. One of the churches that we were pastoring, we did open house like we're going to do this year. Kids were there and they gathered downstairs in the basement and there was a TV in the one room down there and some kids came up and said, Pastor, said your TV's not working. I go, really? They go, yeah. There, there's no remote. Your TV's not working. It was an old TV and I'm evidently old and um, <laughs> I he said, so it won't work. And I said, yeah, it does. I said, let me tell you a magic trick. Walk up to the front of it, stand in front of it, and look for a button clear to the right and push it. And then come up and tell me what happened. A couple minutes later, the kid came around and said, your TV works now. We love to be in control, whether it's a remote or what other people do. Herod wanted to be in control, and so he thought he could outwit God. See, then what we need to do is we must put God in control. He must be in control of our life, or our life is out of control. If God's not in control of your life, your life is out of control. Because when we're in control, it doesn't work. Also, Herod was filled with jealousy and arrogance. I mentioned to you the history lesson of Herod that anytime he thought there was a possibility of somebody being a rival or coming after him or wanting his position, he had them killed, whether there was any truth to it or not. Just like having all the baby boys two years old and under, he didn't want to take any chances that the math was wrong by the wise men. He didn't blink an eye at having all of those innocents be slaughtered because of his arrogance and his jealousy of anyone else taking control. You see, he believed that everything was about him. There's an old worship song singing to God saying it's all about you. Unfortunately, for a lot of us, we've changed the words. And we sing, it's all about me. Well, this is what I want. The question is, what does he want? What does God desire? That needs to be true in the church. We need to pray through everything on what does he desire, not what do I want. Not what am I most comfortable with. What does he desire? When we seek what we want, <laughs> things don't always go well. In fact, they rarely go well. But when we seek what he wants, things go well. Herod believed everything was about him, and he believed everyone was against him. The problem was he thought everyone else was like him. So everybody else had to be against him because they wanted to be in control. So he had to squash everybody so that they would know he was in control. But it never works that way. By contrast, how should we live? We must worship God and surrender our life to him. 
Our worship is to God, not ourselves. Our worship is to God, not celebrities. Our worship is to God, not our money. Our worship is to God above all else. Anything that we put above God, it's wrong. Not because that thing is wrong, but because he's the only one that we're to worship. No one else is worthy of that worship. And it's what we've been called to do, to worship God and surrender our life to him. Verse 16, when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious, sent and killed all the male children, sending someone else to do his dirty work also. We are to worship God and surrender. If you haven't surrendered, do it. You go, that's really hard. Yes and no. It's hard to keep doing it. But it's really not that hard to say, yes, Lord. But we need to keep saying that. And like Joseph that we looked at last week, then get up and do it. Not just say it, not just raise our hand and say, okay, but to actually put feet to our faith. That when we're out away from this building, we're living it out. Herod thought it was all about him. We know that we need to live because it's all about God. Now, the interesting thing is Herod eventually succumbed to God. I mean, it says in verse 19, but when Herod died, he had killed some of his other sons so that they wouldn't rise up and become king instead of him. And yet it was one of his own sons who followed him to the throne. And he was, as one writer said, a chip off the old block. Parents, you think you don't have influence? You have influence, good or bad. No matter what you tell your kids, they're going to follow what you do more than what you say. Herod is an example of that. He eventually succumbed to God. He died. Someone else took the throne. Christ, <laughs> Jesus was still alive, and he's still alive today over all the others who have risen up against him. Herod, in his ignorance, thought that he could outwit God. Instead, he died without ever acknowledging or accepting God's salvation. He died away from Christ. His arrogance kept him from surrendering to God. What keeps us from doing that? That means in contrast, we must personally accept Christ as our Savior. A personal decision. Not generic or general. Personal and specific. Lord, I accept you. I have sinned. I accept your forgiveness. Lord, I need you. See, no matter what background we come from, and I've been reminded a lot in the last few weeks of what a rich heritage I have. 
with parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles. My last surviving aunt turned 97 not long ago. Has had some health issues in recent weeks, but still following Jesus. It was interesting. She couldn't stay in her home anymore. And her daughter sent me a picture of a little plaque that she always kept by her bed at home and now in her assisted living place. And the interesting thing is it came from my great-grandmother that she always had it by her bed. The plaque simply says, prayer changes things. See, I know that my aunt prays for me every day. When my mom died, one of the things that struck me was, so who's going to replace my mom's prayers? Because she's prayed a lot for me because I've needed it. (laughs) When my dad died, same thought. So who's going to replace my dad's prayers? We must personally accept it. See, I didn't make it into the kingdom because of my parents, my grandparents, or my Aunt Julia. Only by my own choice. And the same is true for you or for anyone. We must personally accept Christ as our Savior. Herod rejected him. What will you do? Herod's view was that Christ was coming to take his place. He thought he could hold on to it. What's your view of the Christmas story? Like Mary and Joseph, Lord, your will, not mine. Rise up and do what he asks you to do. Or is it more like Herod's looking out for yourself first? The Christmas story. It's all about giving. God gave his son. So that we could have life. That's why we give gifts. The wise men are the first that we know who gave Christmas gifts. No, the actual birth of Christ wasn't on December 25th. We don't need to go into all that. It's when we celebrate because we really celebrate it all year. We choose one day to focus on it. The question is, what are you giving to those around you? Are you giving Christ through how you live and what you say and what you do? Or do they see more of you than they do him? The more I studied this, it was one of the hardest sermons to put together I've ever done. But the one thing that just kept coming through was, don't be like Herod. And as I kept studying, I kept saying, Lord, there's a tendency. It's easy to go that direction. But we must know the word. We must put God in control of our life. We must worship him and surrender to him. We must personally accept him. Then when we do, we don't just get to celebrate him here. We get to celebrate with him for all of eternity.
How awesome is that? That's why we can have joy. That's why there is hope. And even in a world of conflict, we can live in peace because of him who came and gave his life for us. What will you do with him? Jesus, thank you for the way you've loved us. Thank you for how much you sacrificed. Lord, thank you that we can know you personally. Thank you that you love us, even though you know all the details of our life. Lord, help us to follow you. Not Herod or anyone with that view. Lord, help us to personally accept you, to worship you and surrender to you, to be in your word so that we can live your word. Lord, thank you for your example and for the fact that we can look at Herod and say, do the opposite. May our view be nothing like his, but instead may our view match you. In Jesus' name, amen.